the end of the day is a significant liquidity point for investors and traders to find liquidity. I, I mean, it's quite simply, why is someone doing this to my stock? Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMX podcast series. This is Tanya Roundtree, Global Head of Client Success at TMX Group. This podcast series represents the voice of our clients. We're aiming to tackle some of the most often asked questions that we've received and to get to the bottom of some of the hottest topics related to the Canadian capital markets. So in this vein, it's no surprise that we're beginning our podcast series with a discussion about equity trading. Joining us today is Graham McKenzie, who has nearly 20 years of experience in equity trading. Graham is the Senior Account Manager in the Trading Group here at TMX, and he's responsible for managing relationships with some of our largest TSX accounts, and we're grateful that he was able to join us today. Graham, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. I thought we might begin today's conversation by learning a little bit about the new initiative that I know you've spearheaded at TMX called Exchange IQ. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis behind uh, why it exists and what it aims to do? Well, I think um, there has been, over time, uh, many inquiries from issuers trying to get an appreciation for what's happening in a stock day to day or when sort of unusual activity occurs. And I think uh, just the culmination of all those questions and time has put, put us sort of realizing that we should gather a group of, say, internal experts that can respond to those questions. So what we've done is we formed a, a, a group of us that, uh, that is, you know, can receive those questions and, and, and respond to them to this, the needs that issuers have when unusual or uh, challenging things to decipher happen in their stock. That's great. I'm sure it's nice to have that real-time support um, for the issuers. Uh, so this is such a huge and broad topic, the topic of equity trading. I thought it might be good to focus some of our conversation on what we receive a lot of questions about. And it might be a surprise for some of our listeners, or perhaps not, but uh, often the biggest hot-button issue uh, is with regards to end-of-day trading and how that impacts an issuer's stock. Um, so let me just ask you, should issuers be so concerned with end-of-day trading? Um, I, it makes a lot of sense that that it does concern issuers. Um, and I think that that um, notion makes, makes, as I said, a lot of sense. But in reality, probably not. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why. But I think it, it mainly is due to the fact that that the end of the day is a significant liquidity point for investors and traders to find liquidity. Um, so therefore, trading ends up coming into the end of the day. And I, to be honest with you, um, it's just the natural behavior of how the marketplace works. Right. And just because that's how liquid stocks necessarily trade, it doesn't mean that 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 doesn't move over when on the e-liquid stocks happen. And so therefore, trading really does focus on the end of the day. 
there's a significant liquidity pool at the start of the day called the opening. Uh, and then trading uh, starts to dissipate as the day goes on and then accelerates again into the close. And I think one thing that's probably important for this audience is to understand why. And there are, I would be about, or essentially there are two different um, reasons overall why this occurs. And and the first one is um, just the manner in which uh, traders and investors manage their order flow. And the second would be related to, let me call it a capital call. And so to describe what that means is, Think of you as a a portfolio manager that is managing a mutual fund uh, or any other kind of fund. Um, The reality is is they're paid to be fully invested. So late in the day or outside of the opening when there's that significant liquidity pool, if a uh, trading opportunity or investment opportunity comes on, say, a challenging to trade stock, um, or there's price dislocation or something that's that creates a opportunity for this portfolio manager, they're probably going to jump at it. And let's say it was a, it was an opportunity to buy a stock at a discount to where it's historically trading or where it's trading right now. As that portfolio manager makes that trade, they have to pay for it somehow. They don't have excess cash sitting around to settle these trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're paid to be fully invested. So therefore, they need to raise raise money to pay for it. Um, and what ends up happening is that as the day progresses or late in the day, you all of a sudden have uh, this portfolio manager seeking liquidity on stocks that that they need to pay for. And sometimes, you know, they'll sell a handful of names. Sometimes they'll take a full slice of their entire portfolio and say, I need to raise I don't know, four or $500,000 from selling a bunch of these names. Some of them are liquid, some of them aren't, but they're taking little pieces off of the, the larger portfolio or they're going to sell something within the sector that they're buying uh, this other stock so that they're keeping the weightings across their portfolio. Every circumstance would be different, but it, but the reality is, is that every day this happens. And this in itself will generate more opportunities for other investors with the same situation. Right. Uh, as, and so it sort of has a multiplier effect on the market because the liquidity events that present to someone else as this portfolio, original portfolio manager is now trying to raise money and someone else does. Buying opportunity. So can you tell us just a little bit about what the most common question related to end-of-day trading that you receive might be? I, I mean, it's quite simply, why is someone doing this to my stock? Right. And, you know, what? why are they motivated to do it? And I think just to touch on the second portion of, of where order flow, why order flow sort of comes into the close is, is the fact that order flow uh, is frequently managed in a manner in which it seeks liquidity when liquidity is available. Mm-hmm. So if you take the example of someone that has to trade in a liquid stock, they're going to have to figure out a way to interact with the marketplace. If they went out and tried to buy or sell the whole order at one time, they're going to have a market impact to that price of that stock, and that really doesn't help them. 
So what technology has done and, and the way in which traders have interacted with the marketplace for probably ever is they start to slice and dice that order into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. Today, uh, traders are using uh, technologies such as algorithms to do this. And what ends up happening um, is that an algorithm will slice and dice your order into many small pieces and then spread it out over the time. And an algorithm is in intelligent enough that it knows that liquidity will get better as the day goes on. And so therefore it will trade more of that order or allocate more of that order towards the end of the day. And that's typically what humans have always done as well. And that continues to happen. The other thing is, is that if a human is managing this order, what's going to end up happening is that it's just human nature for, for a trader to try to do as best they can for the order. So what happens is they'll try to buy their small allocated piece of stock for this time frame and they'll wait as long as they have to before they actually get aggressive with the order. They're kind of hoping that someone's going to come to them and sell them stock and they wait and wait and wait until mm -hmm. time has essentially expired and they've now got to get started and get aggressive. And as the day goes on, more and more stock sort of accumulates that they've fallen behind on. And that just naturally pushes more and more order flow towards the end of the day. And can that be viewed as being sort of manipulated or suspicious from an issuer it, perspective? I, I mean, it makes sense it, from a technology it, perspective. Uh, Without a doubt, it always does. That's how they perceive it and look at it. And they say, well, why is this this firm coming in at the end of the day and trying to sell stock? And they get more aggressive as we get closer to the close. Well, they have they have to catch up. And if your stock yeah, is yeah. if your stock is particularly illiquid, that order that that trader is sitting on might have to be spaced out over time. Maybe the order has to be spaced out over several days, several weeks to some regard. Mm -hmm. And so this continues to happen day after day. And so therefore you see the repetitive um, consequences of how that order is being managed. And I think it's important also to recognize that you know, the reality of, of where, where things are today is that, you know, a trader is probably managing, whether the trader is on the buy side or on the sell side managing the order flow, is they've got, you know, I, it's hard to quantify how many, but they, they probably have more order flow that they're managing than potentially they can keep all their eyes on. So therefore, they have to allocate those resources to what is going to have, what needs the most attention. And sometimes, unfortunately, the, the more challenging stocks to trade get pushed to the wayside or pushed to the side. And so therefore, the trader is focused on, say, a larger, more volatile stock that, you know, maybe can be traded that day easily within the liquidity, mm -hmm. but... 
the impact that they're going to have on the, the, the portfolio the most is going to be this one particular order. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and traders have technology and have analytics that say this is the most dangerous stock you have. To, I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it's, it, but it essentially does. What the, there are what's called pre-trade analytics and says the cost of putting this trade on is going to be X. And it's going to take X amount of time based on historical trading patterns. And this is, this is the manner in which to manage this order flow. The problem is, is when you get with more illiquid stocks, it becomes a little bit more challenging to predict how and when liquidity is going to show up. So therefore, it defaults that the best and best opportunity to trade stock is going to be towards the end of the day because that's when other liquidity will show up. Sure. It's reality. Unfortunately, it means that it it can uh, frustrate those that are are expecting. You know, would prefer not to see um, closing price that impacted yeah, closing yeah. price. Yeah. I think, though, issuers also need to recognize that in this day and age, investors, particularly retail investors, are not necessarily tied to looking at their portfolio valuation or their stock prices at the end of the day in the same way as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, the reality is is that with technology on your phone and on your computers you you've you've got an opportunity to see stock prices throughout the day mm-hmm. and real-time access to quotes is 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 easy mm-hmm. you know they're not relying on picking up the newspaper every morning and seeing that that's where the stock closed yeah it's not the same yeah I that's mean, helpful context for it, sure it is but it it does there's no doubt that that a stock's closing price has influence on how the stock may trade the next day. Because if a stock closes up significantly at the end of the day, and it really does close beyond where it probably should be trading, and the next day it's now down, you know, 50 basis points or half a percent, Mm -hmm. it's going to look like it's, you know, being hammered. But in reality, it's trading the same place it was trading everywhere else. And, And that can impact how people manage their order flow or right. trade or buy and sell stock because like, oh it's off you know 50 cents today and mm-hmm. well reality is trading at the same price it was trading yesterday at the same time so maybe maybe you can talk a little bit um switching gears a tiny bit what happens if issuers actually do suspect that there's something suspicious happening with their trading well, what can they do what are the options available well i mean it's it's i think it's important to take a you know take a moment first and just try to figure out if there's something to make sense. And I think there's lots of people that can can help answer those questions, whether you could, looking at the tape, there's a lot of information on the tape, or, or what we refer to as the tape is, is sort of the data that shows the trading, uh, the buying and the selling, and the, you know, the, the history of, of the bids and asks in the marketplace at that time. Um, that tends to show quite a bit of information that can be deciphered. If it's really keep, a digital footprint. Really. It, it, well, exactly. Yeah. So that can help paint the picture of what's happening. If the same broker was trading the stock throughout the entire day and, and, and then they show up and they're more aggressive as the day goes on, it just means that that order, there's it, it a good chance that that order that, there, that was being traded at 10 o'clock in the morning is the same order that's being traded at at three 
fifty in the afternoon, it's just it's been spread out, mm-hmm. and it as we talked about, it gets more aggressive at the end of the day because that's when people are anticipating more liquidity available and they kind of have a mandate to get a certain percentage of that order complete that day or need to finish it. That right. order needs to be done at the end of the day, so therefore it's catching up. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, and that, that can be picked up on. So there's, there's, you know, reading the tape can answer a lot of those questions. If there's still concerns, I mean, we are, are very fortunate to live in a jurisdiction or or be in a jurisdiction that um, has a, uh, a regulatory body that is um, sophisticated in the sense that they have uh, all the meaningful data that they have uh, in real time, the monitoring tools that are in place by IROC, which is, which is sur- surveillance, has a surveillance mandate for Canadian equity trading, um, it's significant. I, I think they're world-renowned for the manner in which they monitor the marketplace in real time. Um, and <clears throat> they can and will look, or sorry, can, they will look at every inquiry that is sent to them um, about mis untoward trading potential untoward situations that that happen in the marketplace so the problem is is that you won't they won't call you back and say yeah you're right there's something going on in the marketplace it will take time before they decipher and take a chance looking at it. but right you, there's also can you give us an example of, of an, uh, you know without of course naming um, an experience where where that's been something that you personally have well, since I joined the TSX, there, there was a circumstance uh, where an issuer sort of complained about something that happened with the trading of their stock, and this goes back uh, sometime, and they just said, this is, this is what happened to us, and we're confident this is what happened. We complained, we mentioned it to yourselves, we went to IROC, we presented everything to IROC, and they more or less said, nothing ever happened to it. We don't have a lot of confidence in the system. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, they, they they reached back out to us. I think it was like a week or so after we had this conversation, and they essentially said, "We just heard from uh, the provincial regulator for for where that company is is based, as well as um, the RCMP that actually they were proceeding and they were coming in to interview them related to that circumstance." That was nearly two years after they made that point. It's not good to hear that that's the process but there mm-hmm. is a process in place and it takes time and I don't know if it always takes so long but it essentially if there is something going on mm-hmm. you know there is follow through yeah and I guess be an active participant the, the reality is watching you, what's happening you so. won't necessarily hear back that there isn't and mm-hmm. you know we were myself and another colleague here we were in um, giving an update to IROC it was about a year ago just on what our marketplace updates and, and explanation of why certain tools are utilized in the marketplace. So they're they're up to speed. They're they're interested in knowing these things, and it's just incredible how large of a team there is on on this investigations team. Hmm. Uh, it's significant, and as we were talking about earlier, they have without a doubt the best data set that's out there. And there's footprints as we, as you yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah. The amount of um, 
manipulation or that activity that occurs in the marketplace is, you know, I don't have any data on it, but it, it would be down significantly than it would have been historically. Okay. There's just no way to hide. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, there's no way to go back. The regulators and the brokerage community have essentially an ability to go all the way downstream and see exactly who's putting this order order in and if they're making, you know, across the board, if they're utilizing multiple brokerage firms, et cetera, yeah. there's essentially a chain and right. that's available to regulators so to follow. So go, going back to the order flow a little bit, can, can you tell us a little bit about how indexing has impacted the trading that you're seeing and what that means uh, for corporate issuers and what they really need to be mindful of. You talked a little bit about active management and equity trading related to mutual funds, but um, there's no doubt there's a huge rise in indexation in exchange-traded fund products. What does that mean and how does it impact corporate <coughs> issuers? Well, I think it's, um, overall, I, I think it's it's healthy for for the marketplace that these products exist. Uh, and I think... Um, in, in my previous career, there, there was always talk about ideal customer base for, for issuers. And we, we, you know, frequently talked about passive investors and retail investors as, you know, you can't get more ideal than that because they are uh, less likely to, you know, have significant influence on how a management team manages their company. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, there, you know, there's, there's a positive uh, side to the the passive investors being being shareholders to some degree. Um, when you look at how much uh, they're owning of companies, I think it's it's a bit overstated and concerned okay. because the reality, particularly here in Canada, is that there's we haven't seen that indexers and the amount of product that they need, they would own of a company is is really that significant. Probably we're topping out at around twelve or thirteen percent. If your company is listed in the Compasses, listed in in the S and P TSX sixty, those are probably your two largest tracked funds or, or indices in Canada. Then you have the MSCI, so you'd be in that, and then you'd be in probably the Canadian FTSE. And then you throw on a if you are an energy energy company or if you're a financial or something like along those lines, all those products that track that um, would would mean that you'd you'd have a, a large passive um, amount of shareholders. But for most companies, you know, it it tops out at the at the S and TSX composite. In the MSCI, which together would probably mean you're probably around six or seven percent, okay. and that we're talking about the hurdle to get into to to those indices or the S and P is you know it's roughly around a billion dollars mm-hmm. of market cap. Um, what about the rebalance dates? What, what, well, then that that's where that's where people kind of really get frustrated and concerned, right. is because what ends up happening is that. They, they go, what's going on with my stock price? They see pressure being put on their stock price. And it's, and it's like we've made no structural changes to, um, to our company. There's not more shares outstanding. There's nothing's happened. We're you know, in a steady state. So why are indexers selling 
my shares. Well, the reality is is that because a comp- because a another company raises money and they have increased the um, shares outstanding in their company, it means that its weighting in the industry would go up. So if a, a company, whether it's in your sector or just in the, the larger industry, uh, say raises a billion dollars or two billion dollars, all those shares that are now newly issued have to be reflected in the industry. And that means that those passive indexers mm-hmm. need to buy shares in that company. They're fully invested. So the only way they can raise the money to buy shares to get to market weighting in this company that raised capital is to sell everything else. And so the index, index essentially, and the methodology of it essentially prescribes what the new weightings are. The, way, the weightings go down for all the other companies. And that's, that's just how uh, indices work. So that can be frustrating, uh, as well as coming in and out of out of indexes can be troublesome. Right. Just a, just a not final trouble. I, I should restate that. <laughs> yeah. Not troublesome. It's just <clears throat> can be frustrating, particularly if you know events or things are going on with your own company. It can it can cloud what is. What, how investors perceive your stock. Right. You know, you perceive if your stock is, is going up in value that, you know, investors are 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 liking what you're doing. And I, I think to that point, every good IR department really needs to be focused on what those rebalance dates are and understand what the passive position looks like now among their shareholder base, right? With the, with the influx of indexation and passive product, it's sort of the necessary thing to be doing from it, IR. Yeah, if your if yeah. your company is is in an indice, you should at least be, to some regard, having a sense of of what's how your company is going to be impacted by index change yeah. and rebalances. Um, and you know there are essentially <coughs> it's not worth probably in. in going out and subscribing to the the index and getting the methodology and building it yourself there are lots of uh, firms on the street that do uh, passive index research and publish you know expected flows and demands and that's out there and available um, you just need to have a relationship with those that provide it uh, to get some sense or essentially you know telling your your bankers or, or, or those that that track your stock that you'd like a heads up when something that may be impactful to your stock is worthwhile so that you can not get caught off guard. Yeah, important to be prepared. Um, so just one final question. Um, can you just talk a little bit, we've heard a lot or we hear a lot about the market on closed facility mm-hmm. and um, maybe you can just elaborate a little bit on what that is for those who are listening who may not be aware yep. and what it means for end of day volatility. Well, I, 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 I've heard it before from, from issuers, um, you know, frustrated with the activity they see at the end of the day. And then they think, why is the TSX have a facility that seems to encourage the trading at the end of the day or the market on closed facility? Well, the reality is, is that um, 
there are numerous different types of investors that are benchmarked at the end of the day. And we just talked about indexers being, they would be the most obvious. There's everything from derivative transactions that are benchmarked to closing prices to, to international investors that are benchmarked to the end of the day price. Um, based on the fact that someone that's sitting in, in, in Europe doesn't like waking up in the morning and finding that the stock they purchased, you know, <laughs> halfway through their day or at the end of their day and, and wake up in the morning and find out that that was just a bad time, but poorly timed trade. So that is a reality. There are many people that are looking for the end of day price uh, as a benchmark. So that order flow exists and it exists every day. Previous, before a market on close facility existed uh, in, in Canada or on the TSX, it was really... Uh, the end of the day was extremely volatile. You really had no idea what type of demand or supply was coming in every stock uh, one day to the next. There was no visibility into whether there was demand or supply. And if there was even scenarios where there was um, supply coming or, or essentially to, to a buyer and a seller at the end of the day, there was no way in which they could meet up. And you would see stocks go up and then down in the last seconds of the day. And there needed to be an orderly way to do it. And marketplaces that, I mean, pretty much, I'd be surprised if not all global markets now have a market on on close facility. It reduces the volatility. And the way it does that is that there's transparency now around the demand and supply of liquidity at the end of the day related to the closing benchmark. So at 3.40 Eastern every day, we will publish out the net imbalance. So if a stock is a, has 100,000 shares to buy, that means that there's 100,000 more shares to buy than selling, looking for that benchmark. And it's published 20 minutes before the close. And what it does is it, it essentially telegraphs to the street that there's supply needed to facilitate that. And so now investors can turn around and put order flow (coughs) into the book to, to facilitate that. And that in itself has reduced the volatility in that. We just, we this year uh, just recently uh, increased the number of different securities that are eligible for the market on close facility uh, by adding all preferred shares that trade on okay. on the TSX, so essentially, any listed issuers on the TSX and prefs are all market on close eligible. The the venture um, we have added names that we're aware that are in indices that have significant dollars following it, so that okay. any type of trading activity related to those passive investors is has the facility available to them it doesn't necessarily make sense for having all the all the stocks in the venture just because there's not demand for right. for closing benchmark trading mm-hmm. as significantly makes sense well Graham thanks so much again for joining us today and for the insightful conversation this certainly won't be the last time that we have you on the podcast series I'm sure our listeners learned some valuable information and uh Wanted to mention that should they have any further questions, they can always connect with you and the team at TMX Exchange IQ at TMX.com. 
Thanks again. Fantastic. That was fun. Thank you.